All right, I'm so honored to be with you. I want to welcome Church Online and our God Behind Bars guys, all of our campuses. Would you make some noise? They can hear you. We love you. Thanks for being with us today. You know, it's so special to be with you. This is probably my fifth or sixth time to be here in the last 10 years. Um, and it's different than anywhere else I've ever spoken in the world, because if I go somewhere else, I have to say, your pastor, your pastor, your pastor. But when I come here, I get to say, our pastor, because every pastor needs a pastor, and your pastors are my pastors. Can you make some noise for Pastor Bill, Pastor Jessica? And I really do mean that, and to prove it, I'll tell you a little story. Rewind with me back to February of 2009. My wife and I knew that we were supposed to start a church somewhere in the United States. <laughs> We'd like really narrowed it down, okay? And uh, we were trying to figure that out. We were pushing on doors, and I kind of came to this spot where I was just frustrated. I, I thought, well, maybe I heard God wrong. So I called Pastor Bill, and I said, would you have some time to meet? I'm trying to figure out where we're supposed to start this church. And I sat down with them, and I started whining. I'm like, oh, I thought we were supposed to start a church, and now I'm not sure because I can't figure out where. And he was basically like, stop that. You're not going to whine. You're not going to do this stuff. And then he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, Zach, I want you to quantify your prayer life. And I thought, wow, that sounds so spiritual and mysterious. And I said, can you explain what you mean? He said, I want you to pray 100 hours before you ever start a church. And the truth was, I hadn't prayed any. I was trying to do it all on my own. I had basically left God out of the thing that God was calling us to do. And I said, well, what would that look like? How, how would you even pray 100 hours? He said, I want you to literally go buy a stopwatch like your football coach had in high school. And I want you to click it when you start praying and click it when you stop praying and don't do a single thing until that stopwatch says you've prayed 100 hours. Now, listen, when he said that, I was like, it's time to find a new pastor. <laughs> this guy's lost his mind. So I, I finished the meeting, you know, we prayed together and I left and I got home and my wife, she was so excited that I had met with Pastor Bill. She said, tell me what did Pastor Bill say? And I said, we're, we're getting a new pastor, baby. He's lost his mind. He, he said, pray 100 hours, get a stopwatch. And I was kind of mocking him and she goes, well, you, you better do it. I was like, dang it. You know, like, they can't both be wrong. I'm probably the one that's wrong. So I went on this 100-hour prayer journey to figure out, well, are we supposed to start a church? And if so, where? And, and what's it's gonna, what is it going to look like? And, and all of those things. And the journey was so crazy. For me, I got to about the 10th or 11th hour. And I'll never forget that day. I'm, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And I kind of like ran out of stuff to pray. Maybe you feel that way with the journey you're on right now. And I remember praying to God, hey, God, I'm only like, 10% into this journey of 100 hours of prayer, and I've got nothing else to say to you. And I felt God speak to my spirit more clear than I ever have. Good. I was wondering when you would shut up so I could say some stuff. Maybe you're in that place, right? So I spent the rest of that journey reading God's word, hearing from God, and the cool thing is, Pastor Bill was right. At the end of the 100 hours, at the end of this, hey, I want you to quantify your prayer life journey that I was on, I knew where we were supposed to go, what the church was going to be called, what it was supposed to look like, who we were going to reach, how we were going to build God's kingdom. I knew all the details. So I'm so grateful to you, the Church Unlimited family, and to your pastors for challenging us. You know, Pastor Bill, I've got several mentors. He's the only one that will push me around and get in my face, and I love that. 
I love that. Make some noise one more time and honor your pastors. Galatians chapter 6 says that the one who receives instruction in the word should share in all good things with their instructor. So some of the good things we share with you, the Church Unlimited family, in our church, almost 11 years now, over 3,800 people have given their life to Jesus Christ, have submitted to him as leader and Lord. Over 1,300 people have been baptized, and of course, I could share countless stories of life change. And I don't know how it all works in heaven, but I know the Bible says that somehow in heaven, that is all credited to your account as well. So praise God for you, Church Unlimited family, for all that God is doing and all that he's going to do. And praise God that you're on a prayer journey right now, because I know from experience that when God's people, when God's family will get down on their knees and humble themselves before God, God can do and God will do amazing things. And I'm so excited to see what's about to happen here. Watch this video. Hey guys, I'm so excited about this next weekend because I'll be revealing what God has shown me in the last 100 hours of prayer. There is a lot to cover, and it may be the most important message I preach at Church Unlimited for the next 20 years. I am not kidding, because God has given me a vision for the next 20 years. It's powerful. It's going to be downright miraculous what God does through you and I to impact not only our communities, but also the whole world. Join us next week for the big reveal of what God showed me after 100 hours of prayer. See you then. Oh, wow, who's, who's excited about that? Come on, come on. Now, here's the thing about that. Um, I, I have no idea what Pastor Bill is gonna share with you. I have no idea what God has put on his heart for you in these next 20 years. I'm really excited about it. I got no idea what it is, but here's what I know without a doubt. I know what our response needs to be. And I'd like to call this message basically what our response should be. I'm calling it, This One's Mine. Will you say the title with me? This One's Mine. Okay, now only like two people did it right. Put your finger up, I gotta coach y'all a little bit. Y'all are like, this one's mine. No, that's not the title. The title is, got your finger up? We're gonna do it down and say it, ready? The title is, This One's Mine. Like you mean it. There you go. Sounds like you're getting it. Sounds like y'all are ready to hear God's word. You know, I, I heard about a guy who got really sick. His wife takes him to the doctor and they diagnose him. The doctor says, this, this is really bad. He has a disease that will kill him unless you're willing to do some things. And it's not going to be easy. And I'd like to talk to you about that. So he pulls the wife out of the room and he begins to explain to her, you're going to need to clean the house every day, change the bed sheets every day, the pillowcases, all of it. He's got to be in the cleanest, most sterile of environments, 24-7. You're going to have to relearn how to cook. Y'all can't eat all that junk you've been eating. Anybody thinking about that right now since it's the first of the year, right? Y'all can't be eating all that stuff. You're going to have to learn to cook nice, clean meals for him. And the doctor just went on to give this list of all these things she was going to have to change and do. And so she begins to cry and she goes back in the room and the husband says, what did the doctor say? And she says, the doctor says you're going to die <laughs> because I'm not doing all that. I am not doing that. And the joke's funny, but isn't it true that sometimes we're kind of like that? That sometimes we have the wrong response. God will call us to do something and we're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Like, like, aren't you glad that when Jesus got to the cross, he did not look up at the cross and go, I'm not doing that. Like, God, I'll, I'll do a lot, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. Aren't you glad Jesus got to the cross and his response was, this one's mine. This one's mine. 
I got this. This one's mine. One of the things I love about Jesus is how everywhere he went, he shocked people with these seemingly irrational acts of love. I'd like to take you to John chapter 13 and look at one of my favorite stories. John chapter 13, it probably won't be new. If you've ever read the Bible or been in church, you've probably heard this, but I hope I can show you a little bit different angle to where 2021 will be a year that you just say, you know what, God, this one's mine. Here's what it says in verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let's hit the pause button right there. I want to set the scene. I want to tell you what's going on. Jesus is coming off of one of the craziest weeks of his entire life. And certainly what will culminate is one of the most difficult weeks of his life. Because this is the week he went to the cross. If you go study the week, it's interesting. Um, Monday is the day we see like Chuck Norris, Jesus flipping the tables over, cleansing the temple, and we all love that story, right? Tuesday, he has one of his worst fights ever with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Wednesday, we actually have no record of what he did. I like to think that probably he was spending time on his own prayer journey, spending time with his heavenly father, knowing what he's about to do. And then here we are. This story is happening on Thursday in a secret room. He's having dinner with his, his closest friends. He's with his boys. He's given this final speech, right? And he's kind of starting to share what's about to happen with him. He even gives them communion. He's sharing that he's about to give his life. And he knows he's about to go to the cross and, and that even, even though he's going to go to the cross, he knows he's going to be betrayed by one of the ones that's sitting in the very room. How difficult must this have been for Jesus? And if you go and study the same story over in Luke's gospel, we get some additional details. In the book of Luke, we see that the disciples, as this dinner is happening, which should have been like a very tender moment, right? A very spiritually powerful moment. As it's happening, the disciples are actually having a fight. They're acting like junior high boys. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So picture it with me. If you know much about the different disciples, like I picture John saying, obviously I'm going to be the greatest guys because I'm the one Jesus loved. That's what he always said. You go read John's writings. He's always like, you know me, John, the one Jesus loved. You know the one Jesus loved. It's like his own nickname he gave himself, okay? And then I picture Peter because Peter's a hothead piping up. Sit down, John. I walked on water. And then Bartholomew, yeah, and then you sank. Right? And then everybody else, be quiet, Bartholomew. Nobody even knows you. That's funny if you know the Bible because Bartholomew is the one we know the least about. Okay? Sorry, preacher joke. Okay? And Jesus, he jumps into the little fight and he says, guys, remember, like, the greatest is the one who will lay down his life as a ransom for many like I came to do. The greatest is the one who's willing to serve. Jesus looked around that room that, that night. You know what I think he saw? I think he saw a bunch of proud hearts and a bunch of really dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. Here's what happens. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So he like pushes back. He stands up. Everybody's going, uh-oh, this can't be good. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured some water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, what was that all about? Well, they didn't have modern-day sewage like you and I had. 
If you've ever been to a third world country, maybe you've seen something a little more similar to what they had. They had ditches in the streets, and they would dump animal feces. They would dump people, stuff, use your imagination, I don't want to say it, okay, out into the street. And then guests who were coming into your home would have to walk through that. So if you came to my house, I want to make sure your feet are washed. Two reasons. One, I don't want that stuff on my new carpet, okay? And reason two, it was a way for me to serve you, a way for me to love on you. Only there's one thing, if you go study culturally what was happening at this time, that doesn't really come across in the scriptures. Oftentimes, if you went to somebody's house, they did not wash your feet. They had someone else who would wash your feet for them. Almost like a status symbol, like, I do care about you. I do care about my carpet. I want to serve you, but I ain't about to touch those feet. So I've got this person over here, because I'm a little higher up in society, that will wash your feet for me. And Jesus looks around and nobody's washed anybody's feet and he just sees all these proud hearts. So he picks up that apron, that towel, that water basin, and he begins to do the thing that probably they should have already taken care of. And I tried to come up with a modern day scenario that's kind of similar and this isn't great, but it's the best I got. Picture like the queen of England comes to your house and disappears for 15 minutes and you can't find her. And when you finally go find her, she's in one of your bathrooms cleaning your toilet. Okay. That's probably the kind of tension that the disciples were feeling as Jesus is just quietly going around the room, washing their feet. And this isn't the queen of England. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. This is Jesus, Jesus, right? Bread of life, Alpha and Omega. This is Jesus stooping down, doing something that nobody else was willing to do. And today we read the story, and, and sometimes we still, we still will have that response. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Look at verse 12. It says, when... When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them. So he's about to speak. Uh Uh-oh, right? He says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And I'm guessing this took a couple of hours. I mean, there's 12 guys with really dirty feet. This isn't like a couple minutes of tension. I mean, this has been going on and on and on. And now he's speaking, and he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, If you, can you guess what the next word is? Do them. Not if you know them, not if you've heard the sermon before, not if you've read the story in the scriptures. No, blessed are you when you actually do this. Blessed are you when you've got the right attitude. This one's mine because the right attitude leads to the right action. And so what if instead of reacting like the disciples did that day, What if we started asking God questions like, God, would you give me eyes to see what's going on around me? What's going on in my community and on my street and in my school? God, would you give me ears to hear the needs that are out there? Would you give me a heart to stop and to notice? Yeah, I've got some stuff going on, but God, there are people who are hurting. There are people who, if I don't reach out, will go to hell, the Bible says. 
I could be the only chance they have at eternity in heaven. God, stop me dead in my tracks if you've got to. And help me to say, this one's mine. Now, sometimes it's little bitty things. Have you learned this? That turn into great big things. Sometimes it is great big things. Sometimes it's Pastor Bill saying, this is what we got to do. This is what God's put on the heart of our church for our church family. And, and it, maybe it's a financial thing. And it's going to involve you making an actual sacrifice, giving up something you love for something you love even more. People going to heaven. That's a big thing. But sometimes it's small things. Have you learned this? Like for me, here's one of the small things that happens often and sometimes turns into a big thing. Now, I'm not really tall, okay? I'm six feet tall. That's just tall enough that a lot of people will think you're tall, okay? So one time I really shine is in the grocery store, y'all, when there's someone that needs something off the top shelf. Like, that's my time to shine. It's just one of the places God has given me, okay? Y'all are laughing. I'm dead serious, okay? So when we first started the church, I'll never forget I'm in H-E-B, I'm walking down the aisle, and I see this older woman, probably in her late 70s, and she's doing what I call the pastor in the wild look. She's looking down the aisle at me, and y'all do it to your pastors. You just don't know you do it. You get all weird if you see your pastors outside of the church sometimes, okay? That's pastor in the wild. So she's doing it. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I can tell she's a little shorter. She probably needs something off the top shelf. I'm like, watch this, Jesus. I got you, <laughs> right? And I said, excuse me, can I help you? And she goes, are you that one guy? I said, yeah, I'm that one guy. I'm totally that one guy. Do you need something? She said, can you get me whatever it was off the top? I said, no problem. Boom, Jesus loves you. <laughs> right there. And we had a nice little conversation. She had come to our church before, but wasn't really connected to a church family. And I basically just said, well, we'd love to have you every single weekend at our church. She said, thanks. I said, have a great day. And I turned around and a small thing turned into a big thing started walking away, and I had one of those moments where God stopped you, stops you just like dead in your tracks. And I felt like I heard one word, pray. Now, I wish I could tell you the rest of the story. I was like a shining example of, of this one's mind faith, but I wasn't, y'all, okay? And aren't you glad that even in your reluctance, God can still use you? How cool is that? Pray, Zach. I'm like, now? Pray now. Uh, in the grocery store? Yeah, aren't you a pastor, Zach? You probably should be able to pray anywhere, anytime, any reason. Okay, God, like pray for what? For her. Like with her? Yes, with her. So I'm like, oh, so weird. And I go over to her and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry I'm bothering you. Can I pray for you? And when those words came out of my mouth, she started bawling. I mean, full-on breakdown right there in the grocery store. And when she finally choked back the tears enough, she began to tell me, that she used to go to the grocery store with her six-foot-tall husband who would get everything off the top shelf for her. But he had passed away three months earlier. And how it's been the hardest season of her entire life, and she's having to do things like learn to mow the lawn because all of her kids live so far away, and it broke my heart. And I prayed with her. Now, the cool thing is, little thing turned into a big thing. Because she ended up getting connected to our church and finding a group of people she could do life with and come back to life with. She found her faith in Jesus again in the middle of the difficulty. She grew closer to God than ever before. She had a family to love on her and take care of her. Sometimes you don't even have to get the heart that right. You just got to at least turn around and take the step and trust God. And say, you know what? This one's mine. For some of you, it's going to be something so simple. A, a neighbor needs help moving. I can do that. This one's mine. They need more help in the kids' ministry. I can do that. I had kids. This one's mine. They, they need more help with the youth group. I can do that. This one's mine. Hey, there's this special thing going on in your workplace that's going to change some lives. I can do that. This one's mine. 
Hey, we need help in the nursery. Hey, you know what? My kids were little at one point. I wiped baby bottoms. I'm really good at it. I can do that. This one's mine. My church will have the cleanest baby bottoms in all of the land. Church needs some people to greet and smile at the door. I can smile. I can do that. This one's mine. This one's mine. What is it God is calling you to do? And what is your response? Because the greatest in the kingdom is not the one who snaps the Instagram photo and says, hashtag, making a difference, look at me. No, the greatest in the kingdom is the one with the heart to say, this one's mine. I can do this. This one's mine. And I love how it's, it's even more about the attitude than the action. Have you noticed this in life? Because the right attitude will often lead to the right action. So if you could get this idea that Jesus is showing us here as he pushes away from the table and says, ain't no one else going to do that. I can do that. This one's mine. If you could get it deep in your soul, it would start to change your life and the lives of those that you love. I got two points in this sermon with an action step sandwiched right in the middle. You ready? Here we go. Point number one, serving is not just something we do. A servant is literally who we are. Serving is not just, okay, I'll sign up for that thing that one time. I mean, that's a good start, but that's not what it actually is if you're a Christ follower. It's, it's actually who you're called to be, the, the very essence of who we are in this world. We're to walk into every kind of environment, every kind of situation, and make it better. We bring Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, with us everywhere that we go. So get it into your heart that it's not just something you do from time to time. It's, it's literally who you are. And, and here's the action step. You ready? I don't know but you do. Because there's so many different kinds of people in different places spiritually in the room and online right now and with God behind bars. There's so many different situations and so many different things God's calling you to do. I don't know what it is, but you do. You know exactly what it is, or you you at least have an idea. Or if you have no idea, your church has tools and resources and things you can be a part of that will bring that thing to life. Things to help you understand who it is God has called you to be. And this is why your pastor will push you because he loves you like he loves me. This is why if I call him, I'm being a bonehead. He'll push me if he has to because he loves me. He wants me to get it right. He wants me to do better. And and he knows how if I'll just say this one's mine, I can do that, God, yes. My answer to you, Lord, is yes. I'm not Lord, you're Lord. He knows that that will change people's lives and that it will change my life. And so the second point is this. When you serve others, God changes lives every single time. But check it out, the first life he changes is often yours and the lives of those that you love most because they see your life changing. And this is why, like, if you've ever talked to somebody a couple days after they get back from some mission trip to some other part of the world, a lot of times you'll say, how did it go? And they'll be like, well, I'm not really sure we made much of a difference there, but God sure changed my life. Something came alive inside of me. Something changed inside of me. Parents, I think about your teenagers. I've got one now. I'm in that mode in life. Think about your teenagers. If you want your teenager to really love the Lord when they launch out on their own, which is kind of the whole goal of this Christian parenting journey, amen? Don't just take your kids to church. Don't just drop them off at a youth group. Those are great things. Please do those, yes, but also serve with them in church because then they'll start to shift mindsets from churches a time slot on my calendar that I got to go to, they'll shift from that to, no, church is who I am. It's literally, a, it's literally who I am. It's a, it's a people that I am a part of. They need to see you in that role and be in that role with you. 
See, you could grab God's word and you could show me hundreds upon hundreds of places where the concept of you and I being the church together is communicated, but you cannot show me a single spot in God's book that supports the idea that just sitting in a seat is all God is asking of us. It, it's not in there. It's one piece. One piece. But he's called us to say, this one's mine. This one's mine. You know, oftentimes I'll get into conversations outside of church where the people don't know who I am in the community. And my wife, she, like, she likes to just tell them, oh, we pastor a church. I'm always like, shh. I like to hold that back. Like, I like to keep that secret for just a little bit, okay? But eventually it comes out. And people will always give the same answer, and it breaks my heart. People will say, oh, well, we've been looking for a church. And we've been to 11 or 12 different churches. We just can't find one that meets our needs. Can I have some church unlimited family therapy with y'all for just a second? Like, I just want to say, hmm, maybe that's because you're not supposed to be a spiritual consumer. You're supposed to be a spiritual contributor. You're asking the wrong question. It's the wrong question to ask, will this church meet my needs? The right question is, is this a church where I can meet other people's needs? Is this a church where God can activate inside of me the masterpiece he's created me to be? It's important that you receive, yes, but it's always for the, the reason of God's glory. It's always for the purpose of the mission. Amen? It's always to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what it's always about. He's put great stuff inside of us. I'm from West Texas, so I say it like this. God don't make no junk. I know that's not good grammar, but it's really good theology. God don't make no junk. He only makes masterpieces. You are a one-of-a-kind never has been and never will be again, masterpiece created by God with some really incredible and brilliant stuff inside of you. And it's got to come out of you. This is why Proverbs 3 tells us not to withhold the good when we have power to do it. So listen, if this is your church, if someone were to say, hey, do you go to church? Yeah, I go to Church Unlimited, that's my church. And if you're not saying this one's mine, if you're not playing a part, if you're not using your gifts, you're missing out. And the entire church family is missing out. It's actually bigger than that. Not just the church family is missing out, the kingdom of God across all generations, across the entire world is missing out. And there's something that needs to be done that needs to be brought to the table that's not being brought. Could it be because of a proud heart? And could it be that as a result, there's a bunch of dirty feet Listen, this isn't guilt and condemnation. Those are not the tools that your heavenly father uses. Have you learned that? If you feel guilty or you feel condemned, that is your spiritual enemy trying to stop you from, every, from ever doing what God's called you to do. God uses conviction. God uses his word in a loving way to push us towards the very best. That's why I love how your pastor does it. He just models it right after the heart of God. So are you saying, this one's mine? I'm telling you, have that attitude, this one's mine, and you'll be able to put your head on the pillow at night and say, you know what, it wasn't a perfect day, but God used me. On the other hand, spend every day, all day on yourself, and you'll go to bed feeling empty. If you want to feel fulfilled, like you're making a difference in this life, you've got to have this mindset, this one's mine. Don't rob the world or yourself from the blessing that God has placed inside of you. I don't know about you, but I, I just refuse to sit in the seats everybody else paid for. 
I refused to come in with a warm welcome that everybody else made sure felt welcoming. I, I refused to drop my kids off at the kids' ministry that everybody else took care of. I refused to have my students take part in the, the youth group that everybody else made happen and worship when everybody else took care of it and never play a part myself. I want to be a part. I want to give back. And I want to say, this one's mine. Aren't you glad that there are Christ followers for, for generations past that have said, this one's mine? Because the church wouldn't exist today without that attitude. It kind of makes me think of these people. Look at this picture. Who said, you know what, God? Corpus Christi? Yes, this one's mine. You're God, not us. We'll do what you've called us to do. We'll reach who you've called us to reach. We will worship you. Not we'll be perfect, but Heavenly Father, we love you. So our answer is yes, this one's mine. And how about these people? The volunteers here at Church Unlimited. Make some noise. These are people who every day, not just on the weekend, it takes volunteers working every single day. People who are saying, I can do that. This one's mine. Oh, that's what we need to do to reach more people? I can do that. This one's mine. That's what we need to do so heaven gets bigger and hell gets smaller? I can do that. This one's mine. Jesus, whatever, however, whenever, whoever you've called me to reach, I can do that. I can do that. This one's mine. And now let's make it personal and I'm going to be done, okay? For some of you, 2021 is the year you're praying your marriage finally gets better. It's not going to happen if you don't have a servant's heart. It's the only thing to lay down that life of selfishness and say, I, I can serve my wife, my husband. I can do that. This one's mine. For some of you, it's a teenager who's gone so far away from, from God's kingdom and you're so concerned and worry, worried about them, it hurts your heart to even think about some of the decisions they're making in the world that they, they face today. And the only thing that's gonna help is for you to have that kind of an attitude. For some of you, it's something as simple as a friendship that went wrong it's maybe finding new meaning in life. It's, it's wanting to make a real difference in this world. It's wanting to glorify Jesus in a brand new way. Have the attitude, this one's mine. Because I'm not doing that isn't gonna get us anywhere. I'm not doing that isn't gonna reach anybody. And I'm not doing that, it's not gonna change you. What if you started saying, God, would you give me the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the heart to care and notice? Stop me dead in my tracks if you have to, God. Turn me around, make me face the other way, make me repent when I need to repent. Help me, Father, I need you. I need to say this one's mine. What would happen? I'm telling you what would happen. It would change your life and it would change the lives of others. I wanna read verse one again. It says at the end that he loved his own who were in the world and that he loved them to the end. I love that because it means that even though Jesus saw proud hearts and dirty feet, he saw a bunch of guys who were getting it totally wrong. He just loved them anyway. But how did he love them? He loved them by pushing away from the table and getting up and saying, I've got to tell you some things. Your attitude is wrong. And it's time for you to wash some feet. It's time for you to serve some people. It's time for you to say, this one's mine. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And as you just think about what it is God's calling you to do, about that step you know you need to take, about that check you know you need to write, about that ministry you know you need to serve in, about that neighbor you know you need to walk across the street and present the gospel to or share an invitation to church with. If you would simply agree with this prayer, I want you to lift your hand. If you would just say, yes, Jesus, I want to be more sensitive to your spirit, more faithful 
and more passionate than ever about serving your kingdom in 2021. Would you lift your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Yes, Jesus. I'll be more passionate, more faithful. I'll take my next step. I'll get connected. I'll, I'll give whatever it is God's calling you to do. If you would just say, yes, your Lord, not me. Yes, God. So many hands. Thank you. You can put them down. I want to pray for you. God, thank you for these with the courage to say, you know what? I can do that. This one's mine. In many cases, before we even know what it is you're calling to us, God, our answer is yes. And to whatever it is you've put on the heart of our pastor, we can't wait to hear it. God, our answer is yes. We can do that. This one's mine. We trust you. And as you continue to pray and talk to God about what it is he's doing in your heart right now, listen, maybe you want to have this kind of a life, but you just don't know where you stand with God. You've been feeling that tension of getting right with God. You've been asking some of those God questions, those Jesus questions, and you're just not sure if you're good enough. I got good news for you. The gospel says, no, you're not good enough, and you never will be. But Jesus was good enough and always will be. I left out one part of the story I'd like to tell you real quick. When Jesus gets to Peter, he starts washing Peter's feet. And Peter says, you're, you're the Lord. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I can't wash your feet, then you can't belong to me. And Peter says, well, then wash my feet and my hands and my head. Wash all of me, Lord. It was a picture of what Jesus was about to do for us on the cross. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ in a simple moment of faith, you don't become a little bit better version of yourself. You become a brand new creation, the scripture says, born again. And if you would like to take that step to be washed completely clean, where the old is gone, the new has come, we want to lead you in a simple prayer, a simple moment of faith. It's not the words that do it. It's whether or not you're at this place in your heart. God is the searcher of all hearts. He sees what's in your soul right now. If that's you, would you declare this prayer to him? In fact, let's all pray it together so no one has to take this step alone. Would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Jesus is Lord, he's Savior, he is leader, and he is friend. I repent from my sin, and I turn to you, God. Make me a brand new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's make some noise for anybody taking that step.